You're listening to The Room Block Podcast, a series of conversations with compelling professionals from the world of events and hospitality. I'm your host, Jen Salerno. I've spent the last 20 years in different facets of the industry, working alongside a variety of people that have one common goal, to serve our customers by creating memorable experiences. Now, I want to share with you the passions, inspirations, and challenges of the individuals who make it happen. Welcome to The Room Block and enjoy your stay. This episode is brought to you by JTS Connect, offering host, MC, moderation, and facilitation services for live, virtual, and hybrid meetings and events, as well as podcast hosting and consultation. To learn more and inquire about booking JTS Connect for your next event, please visit jtsconnect.com. Greetings, RoomBlock Podcast listeners. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the podcast where hospitality and event professionals meet. Did you know that the RoomBlock is now part of the Hospitality.fm family? Hospitality.fm is a podcast network dedicated to bringing the best hospitality-focused podcasts to those in and around the industry. Visit Hospitality.fm to reach a portfolio of podcasts with thousands of episodes all about this industry that we love so much. Speaking of, how would you like to help me help the hospitality and events industry? By leaving a positive rating or review for this podcast, you're helping The Room Block gain visibility, which will allow more people to discover the show and bring more education and enlightenment to our beloved colleagues. Your support is so appreciated. Thank you for being a listener and for helping me share our industry stories. So, experiential design. What even is that? When and where can we use it? Why does it matter? How can it help your hotel, restaurant, organization, or event? And most importantly, who can help us answer these questions? Don't worry, I've got you covered. In this episode of The Room Block, I am joined by Mallory Gott, who I've decided is one of the coolest people I've ever met. Mal is the owner of G&A, an experiential design firm, which is based in Las Vegas and helps transform clients such as restaurants, bars, and other boutique hospitality event and brand experiences. Transform how exactly? Well, that's just it. Mail and her team will help you figure that out through their proprietary feelings-led 4D framework. Yes, I said feelings-led. And if you're one of those people who believes that feelings and emotions have no place in the business world, you must be forgetting that customer loyalty is largely based on an emotional connection with your product. When I say product, I mean hotels, restaurants, events, and even your organization. We are all looking for more. More clients, more attendees, more exhibitors, more guests, more employees even, right? So if you haven't yet considered what it feels like for these entities to experience what you have to offer them, then this episode and Mallory Gott are going to give you a lot to think about. Oh, and when you get to the part in the episode about how Mal and her team are finalists of a not-so-little competition, feelings-led experiential design for the win, huge congrats to Mal and her team for pulling it off. 
Now, let's hear how. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Room Block Podcast. Welcome to the show or welcome back to the show. Whether or not you're a new or returning guest, you are always welcome here. And today we're having a conversation with somebody that I met literally just a few months ago. So today yes. we're going to be talking with Mallory Gott, who is the owner and creative director of GNA, an experiential design firm. And I'm going to leave it to Mallory to tell us exactly what experiential design means. <laughs> but first, I want to have her say hello and welcome to the show, Mal. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jen. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, it's very, very fun and cool to be invited to participate on this podcast because uh, I love the chance to share what we do and share what we do with people who have an interest in how um, the hospitality industry evolves, what it can do, where there might be opportunities to take this cool niche that we have in the communities that we serve and 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 help use it to help those communities have better and greater experiences for themselves um, and for the people that visit them. So, so thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the um, faith that you've put in me to ac accurately represent myself in experiential design. I'm always a little mischievous and I'm like, oh, I could say anything. I could say I'm the <laughs> queen of the world, you know, uh, people would be able to fact check that pretty quick. But uh, it's always <laughs> nice when someone gives me that wide latitude. So I appreciate being invited. My pleasure. I mean, well, here's the thing. I did have a chance to learn a bit about you and what you do when we were on a panel together at PCMA Convening Leaders this past January in Las Vegas, which is where you live, which is why Ooh. Mal is really especially cool because she lives in such a great destination, <laughs> one of my favorite. But I know that Mal has a lot to say about what she does. And it's in a way that like when we had our pre-call, for our panel discussion, I was like, okay, wait, this woman is speaking my language because you use the word feel a lot. <laughs> so yeah, that yeah, I'm all about the feels, Mallory. Yeah. So, all right. So I'll, I'll do a one-two punch with the, what is an experiential design firm? And then you gave me a great tee up with the, with the part of the way that we look at experience design um, from a feelings led perspective, which is our unique offering and a big part of our, our promise to the people that we get to work with. So when Perfect. we talk about, yeah, so when we talk about experiential design and the reason that I chose to include that in the name of the company, what we're looking at often starts with either brand or event design. Uh, certainly people come to us and say, either I have this longstanding brand or a new brand that I'm conceiving, or I have an event experience or a series of events that have existed, but maybe they've started to flatline a little bit, revenues have been stagnant, or we can tell just, um, just by looking at the types of things that they once had. Um, or similarly to the brands, we're, we're coming up with something new, we've got an idea, but we wanna put some real firm um, design ideas around it. And we wanna make sure we're doing this really, really well so that we don't end up so far off the track at the end of it that we're like, okay, maybe, yeah, this made money, but it was nowhere near where we thought it was you know, ultimately gonna go. Um, and when we get the chance to work with them in either of those scenarios, what we talk about is the idea of an experience extending far beyond 
what a lot of people look at at first blush, which when it's a brand can be the stuff that's simple face value, logo, color choice, typography, tone of language, or an ex by extension, an event experience, um, you know, the, the facets of like what happens at the physical event, how do people register, how do people get ticketed, you know, what, what inclusions, what's the pricing, all those things. And we start to look at the end-to-end -end experience, and oftentimes they end up being interrelated, brand to event and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and we ask people to focus on how they want that experience to feel. And when we pose that question, and it's usually as simple as that, give me three to five adjectives, make them as descriptive as possible. How do you want this experience to feel? Oftentimes what happens right after that is that we're met with either big eyes like a deer in a headlight, or we get like, well, we want it to feel good, or we want it to feel fun, or we want it to feel some of these more generic, like, okay, this is kind of the word that everybody might use. You know, we want it to feel cutting edge or whatever, right? We get these very baseline words. And that's when we start to be able to work our magic and go through what we have developed as the feelings-led 4D framework, which is the framework that takes us from that first deer in the headlights or very generic term that is supposed to somehow define what your brand or your event is going to deliver from end to end through a series of four steps that gets you to a place where you're laser focused on how you want it to feel. And you're using that feelings led framework and that feelings led um, description to go ahead and design all the various facets of the experience to help you make decisions and to be able to prioritize what investments in the design, uh, in the design of the experience are going to yield the biggest impact, meaning give you the most amount of those feelings or move you as close to generating those feelings as possible for the least amount of investment, whether that's money, time, people, or a combination thereof. So that's what we talk about when we mean an experiential design firm. And that's why we start with what people are most familiar with, brand or event, but it quickly evolves into something that um, exceeds a lot of that base, like, oh, okay, this is an event, this is a brand kind of concept. Okay. So there is a lot there in what you just said. And so, yeah. first of all, my, my first thought goes to when you ask people about how they want their event or whatever it may be to feel, mm -hmm. and, they, and mm -hmm. you get those kind of generic answers, do you provide them with like a list of different adjectives? Like, okay, like you said, nice, but do you mean luxurious? Do you mean you know, fancy, like, how do you, how do you try to crack into what people are really looking for? Do you have certain questions you ask them? Yeah. So we actually come at it from a couple of different angles. And the good news is that we've done this with enough groups now, um, whether they're independent, uh, restaurant, bar, boutique, hospitality, um, mixed juice commercial. We've had other clients that are outside of those three main focus areas, but we've done it with enough groups that we've come up with a series of different exercises that are usually our starting exercises. And then we have those backup ones, right? So like, what do we do for the people for whom the, the first few exercises don't necessarily catch? So one of the ones that we'll start with, and, and um, you know, I said, I come in and say, what are the three to five? And we'll ask people that, but then when we get that either deer in the headlights or that like very generic, then we take a step back and we explain to them because nothing, nothing is, uh, you know, we don't, we don't obfuscate, like we're not trying to confuse people, but we explain, we're actually going to move you to a very different place where you are very, very explicit about what those feelings are. And you're going to use terms that are really, really easy for you to pinpoint um, because it's very difficult 
later on in the planning process to nail down are we creating feelings of nice? Like ni- nice is a heart, you know, if I say, is this nice? Or yeah. People are like, oh, well, I don't actually know. But <laughs> but before we get there, what we do is we start with things like, we have people talk about, um, you know, what makes them magical and experience that was really, really special to them in their life that oftentimes has nothing to do with what they're here to design for whatever the brand or the event experience is. And when we do that, initially people can come back and say, well, what, like, is this a waste of time? Why are we doing this? But where we help them go through that particular exercise and a series of other exercises, like I said, that we can use is we help them start to tune into like, how does this actually feel? Because if people describe, for example, a huge monumental accomplishment in their academic life, in their family life, in their physical fitness life, in their, you know, this is like, I've had people do everything from, I had one woman talk about when she accidentally discovered a manuscript from the 1600s as as a PhD research candidate, to people talking about the first time I jumped out of an airplane, to the feeling I had when my first child was born, to, you know, the, 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 the moment that I, I realized I could fluently speak a language, like all these different wild experiences that people have, they know how that feels. They know what elation feels like. They know what true joy feels like. They know what accomplishment or, and it doesn't mean that the feelings they feel in those personal experiences are the ones that they're going to identify as it relates to their brand or event. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it gets them in this space where, okay, I've stopped being analytically led for a moment and I've started to tune into the feelings so that when I come back and I say like, if I'm envisioning this perfect event experience, what does it feel like? Am I, you know, walking around on cloud nine? Do I feel like jubilation? Do I feel like a sense of total serenity? You know, like I know, I truly do know how I want to feel at any given experience. I just lose track of that oftentimes in the day to day because we're so accustomed to leading with analytic analytics when we're designing experiences. So that's how we usually start to move them into that feelings led direction. And then we bring it back around and start looking at, okay, what does this actually mean for the, the experience that we're here to talk about? We're here to help you design. Okay. I mean, I feel like it would be really easy for me to verbalize how I want something to feel because I speak in those terms. Like uh, if I'm watching a movie, it's very easy for me to remember that movie by how it made me feel. Like not the soundtrack, not the scenery or the cinematography. It's like, oh my gosh, that movie was like soul crushing or that movie like made me feel so happy at the end, you whatever it is. Like that, my I live in that emotional world. Um, but I think about it in terms of like, well, how would I want my business to feel? <laughs> and it's kind of, it's a little hard. So this is why companies like yours exist. So that's great because it really kind of dives into that emotional connection that we have with brands, which we know is very important. So I'm curious, how did you get into this kind of work? I know that your company has evolved over the yes. last few years. And you know, I feel like you're in this place now where you you mentioned, you know, this is where you want to focus. This is this is what you want to do with a, these certain kind of companies, boutique hotels, um, hospitality, food and beverage, right? So, how did you get here? 
Well, as with many of us, it was a windy road that unfolded in a way I never could have predicted when 18-year-old <laughs> me elected to become a French major in undergrad. And people thought, why are you doing this? You don't want to teach <laughs> French. But even young me, without any uh, no knowing where I was really going to head, knew that I loved the feeling of being able to learn French. And I loved the feeling of the idea of even going to be able to study overseas. So like a lot of why I picked that major really centered around just feeling like I was excited about the subject matter. You know, if I was going to do something for four years, I might as well really, really love it and then let the cards fall where they may. Mm -hmm. um, and that that ultimately ended up being uh, a, a big part of how this um, design framework came to be as well, because, and it, you know, it, it's interconnected in that how we want to feel is not just for the experience, but for ourselves as we're designing the experience. And so for me, my career started in um, taking a job because it was a high paying job out of college in <laughs> Chicago, where I where I originally grew up. Um, and I worked in a, a big four accounting firm, not as an accountant, definitely not speaking French. Um, but, you know, I it's an interesting story because I took that job because it paid really well. That's kind of the analytics led side, right? Like take the job with the best benefits and the best pay. And it's not that I didn't like that job. There were a lot of great attributes to it. But what I quickly managed to figure out in that role was that there were other areas of that particular business, learning and training and development that felt much more exciting to me. I got, mm. a, I got an opportunity to do that from about six months into my very first job. And I only got to do it like two days every two weeks, but those two days I would shoot out of bed. Like I was, you know, shot out of a cannon and I'd go in there super excited and whatever, not realizing the difference between doing something that feels really invigorating and what that means and doing something because you're picking maybe what looks best on paper and it doesn't necessarily line up with how you feel. So long story, very abridged, that particular portion of that job ultimately led me into a career in first um, association conference education development, and then subsequently meeting planning. And what I learned over the course of about a um, 12 to 13 year stint doing that uh, work in various organizations was that those two things really needed to go hand in hand because the experience that we talked about when I was first on the learning side would often get lost in translation if you walked into a room and you were imagining as an education developer um, this very, you know, kind of high energy, very engaging, interactive, like super fun and fast paced experience from an educational standpoint. And then you'd walk into a meeting room and it would be set, you know, theater for 200 and with one projector and look. And I was like, oh my gosh, this experience doesn't map. Like the way I feel when I walk into this room doesn't map the way I was envisioning feeling when I was designing this educational program. And mm. so we, we, I started to have this ability to do both um, sides of that equation in a couple of, of, of positions into that, maybe like seven, eight years into that 12, 13 year stint. And then eventually had the opportunity to also see the interconnectivity of other facets of what that looked like. So if you're marketing, for example, for an event experience speaks one tone, but then people you, you're, you're trying to get them to have a different experience when they get there, it doesn't match. If the way that you're selling sponsorships or the way that you're talking about brand opportunities is very different from what they're getting when they see an experience on site or who's showing up or how it feels, those things don't end up matching. And even so far as if the way that you're talking about who you're hiring, what their role is, what their job title is, if that is very archaic, 
but you're trying to create a new and exciting, exhilarating brand, or we're reinvigorating this, you know, launch experience or this annual signature event or whatever, you're hiring people that aren't delivering that experience because they're expecting one thing based on the way a job is written. You're expecting another thing based on the way you're trying to do this. So all of those things came together, swirling, twirling, eddy, you know, and in this eddy of all these different components. And then in 2019, I had the opportunity to strike out on my own and, um, and, and build this company. And when I looked at it, I thought, you know, I really want to do this end to end. And I really want to work with organizations and teams and people who are open to the idea of, I know when something feels like I want it to feel, and I'm willing to let that be the leading indicator with the analytics as a very, very important second indicator, but I'm not going to drive everything based on what's on paper, dollars, bottom line project. Like that's not going to drive every single decision with top priority. So that's how slowly but surely I went from majoring in French for no reason anybody could understand. So owning a company now where we're talking about using a feelings led framework to design events and brand experiences. Wow. It is amazing to me how experiential design infiltrates literally every aspect of a company or a brand. I mean, mm -hmm. like you're talking about the hiring process and how mm -hmm. that relates to the end result that you're trying to deliver to your audience or your guests or whatever it may be. I mean, that is very, just it goes very deep, so many layers. And I mean, I hope that people listening are using this to kind of think about all these different areas of opportunity that could exist within what you're doing. Because we all try to do like you have that final vision right in your head, but it's like, yeah, but what steps are you taking to get there? Are you covering every base? And probably we're not. And what you're saying is your company helps people do that in a way that is basically as, for lack of a better word, efficient as possible, right? Because you're saying, I mean, you could really get into some crazy costs and yeah. a lot of effort yeah. to, to yeah. get to this final feel, this final vision. But you're saying, okay, we're going to help you find those big, high impact items. And I mean, it's, it's crazy when you think about how all your past experience of not seeing those things happen in the way that you wanted them to led you to go, all right, like there are all these opportunities and I've identified where they are and how to get them. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think I, I have had the opportunity to learn both what, in my own experience and also helping um, a lot of different teams is that what beyond just prioritizing what I what we talk about is experiential design touch points. So some of the major ones being like ticketing or branding or, you know, like design of physical space or whatever the inclusions might be in a product or service offering that your brand is offering or your, your event is offering or whatever. What I found is that, and the, one of the key reasons that we talk about using a feelings-led approach beyond having a, a very personal experience with okay, I know when this feels like X adjective descriptor that we've put in place, is that when people come together from a variety of different touch points, people operating financials, people operating IT, people operating logistics, people operating marketing, people operating public relations, when they're all coming together, the reason the analytics 
led approaches to designing experiences, brand and event or both become so taxing a lot of times is because everyone's analytic priorities are different. Mm, The PR person has a different priority than the finance person has a different priority than the education person, than the event person, than the, the marketing person. What feelings led design allows people to do is not negate those priorities, but say, when we're looking as a team at designing an experience, if we've all agreed on this set of of descriptors and and we do more than just say, here are five words, you know, we put together a very vivid description. That's actually what it's called, vivid description of the experience that includes those descriptors. But once they've agreed on that, as they each have continue to have their own really important priorities, like I'm never going to go in and say, oh, don't worry about money or don't worry about project (laughs) plan. You know, it's like, that's insane. Great. What we are able to help them do is see, okay, yes, these are priorities, but as I look at the myriad of different ways I could execute on what are my analytical priorities, my metrics, my money, my whatever, what are the things, what are the approaches that create more of the feelings I'm shooting for or fewer of them, right? And so it's like one of those experiences that people will have that's a, it's an easy one for a lot of people to relate to is what's the bottom line and how do we get there, right? Like we have to be, hit some sort of target. So when you go into that, you don't necessarily say we're abandoning a bottom line, but you're saying like, if we want our experience designing this event or brand or whatever to be really uplifting for the people who are participating and for us as a team, what are the decisions that we're making about even how we manage this budget process and this reforecasting and this maintenance that are going to create more uplifting feelings or fewer? If everyone knows the existing process makes you all groan when you see the, you know, standing <laughs> meeting or this, right. Then like, are we committed to creating a more uplifting process for ourselves or not? Because if we're not designing an uplifting experience along the way as the team putting this into place, and it doesn't mean we're all like standing around and singing kumbaya, but like <laughs> if our process is so, um, you know, so into minutia and such a fight every time we have to get together, how in the world are we going to come around and say, but at the end of it, it's going to be super uplifting for people. You know, people can yes. feel that when it's mismatched. And so it's like, okay, so then in this case, we may say, hey, we're going to say that, yes, we need to hit this bottom line, but we're going to allow people the latitude to to make decisions within these guidelines and within these parameters. And we're not going to have to be on top of them for every single thing, or we're, we're going to change the way that we require certain reporting. It's different for every group, but we're able to help people start to not only redesign the experience at the end, but say like feelings are going to inform how we, or not, some people still choose not, but feelings are going to inform how we lean in one direction versus another, because the litmus test has changed. No matter where I'm starting from, all of my, my, what, what is now at the center of designing the experience are the feelings rather than my perspective on finance, my perspective on marketing, my perspective on PR, because all of those perspectives are different. It sounds like experiential design, and I also think I saw this on your website, but it can solve problems that exist within a company or a brand or an event. And I, and you just described some of them. So, like, so, for example, if everyone groans when you need to come together to have these meetings to talk about your event and the end process, the bottom line, like there's a problem. Well, it can be solved by looking at it from this kind of emotional framework, this feelings-led framework, or some kind of 
design that's going to get you to a place where everybody feels the same way. So do you have any other examples of how experiential design can solve problems? I, you know, I do, Ben. You know, I've got examples on examples on examples. (laughs) I was Um, hoping. (laughs) Yeah. um, So one of the things that we talk about with people as well, and again, this is another one where it can sound like just kind of a jargony semantics, but I don't, I don't believe that to be the case based on my experience is that rather than solving problems, we shift the conversation and we, we work with groups to shift the conversation to working solutions. And what I mean by that, just to use your example, to, to continue along the example that I used and then you followed up on with the, with the maybe groan inducing meeting, right? The planning <laughs> meeting that everyone's like, oh man. So one of the exercises that we will take people through on an individual level, but then extrapolate out into how is this applied in a team or in the experience design process around whatever we're, we're working on with them is um, this idea of an ex- of like a 4D experience Mad Lib, right? So we say, okay, I, I really want to feel, uh, you know, I don't know, ebullient. Um, I never say that word right. So some, probably someone in the comment is going to get some other pronunciation. Very bubbly, let's say that that's the nice word. You know, I want to feel like peppy when I, that's how I like to enjoy my day. And let's say it has nothing to do with an overall uh, experience that I'm designing for another group. But I really like to feel bubbly. I like to feel pep, like a little pep in my step, you know, light, light in the shoe, that kind of thing. And so if I have a certain meeting that I know is going to be just like, ooh. What I can do is I can say, instead of saying, how do I solve this problem? Oh man, I can avoid this meeting. I can you know, try to say, I'm not going to it. How do I work a solution of introducing more feelings of light hearted, bubbly effusiveness when I am in this meeting? And what it can do on an individual level before anything ever changes as at a team level is that it can transform and shift that paradigm for me instead of trying to solve basically an unsolvable problem. I can't make this meeting on in its entirety by myself unless I'm the person leading it and in charge of it. I can't necessarily change how it feels for everybody else yet, but I can work on the solution of introducing more of those feelings that I've identified as the way I want to experience something into that. And I can do it at first in very small ways, you know, I can say, all right, I know I've got to go into this meeting at such and such a time. So I'm going to make sure the environment around me is, you know, one where, I mean, don't burn your office down, but like, I've got a candle lit, you know, I'm in comfortable <laughs> clothes. I maybe before I jump on this meeting, I start to like, listen to some music that I really enjoy, or I make sure I go get my favorite coffee, or I say, I'm going to really pay attention to these two people who I love when they contribute. And I'm going to focus on what they say. I'm going to spend this meeting trying to build off of what they say. And I'm also not going to engage in any kind of side comments and chat about this one person that none of us really, you know, wants to hear from. And they always chime in, right? Like I'm going to create more of the feelings of effusiveness and bubbly and lighthearted for myself in this experience. I'm going to work on that solution of putting the feelings first, rather than the analytics, the date, the experience, the time, who else is on it, what they say that I cannot solve for. I cannot do a lot around those things. And so whether we start with a big experience design challenge that we're working on, an event at a brand for a large organization or a team or whatever, or just myself on a day-to-day basis, that one simple exercise, how do I want to feel? And then the Mad Lib, when I'm doing this thing in order to create more feelings of dot, 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 I can, and then insert those types of things, all of a sudden I can move to this paradigm where I'm working on that solution of creating more of those feelings 
on a day-to-day basis, on an experience-by-experience basis, and it can start to become a practice in my individual daily life that I can then start to bring into a team conversation. And of course, our goal always is to bring it into an overall design project and the, the, the experience design from end to end with the group so we have the chance to work with. Okay, I'm eating this up because I'm like <laughs> amazed. Well, seriously, though, I'm amazed about everything you just said. It's so intentional about, I don't know, just putting yourself in a position. You go, how do I want to feel in my day? Like, I mean, you're, you're taking it from this big macro companies or brands or events down to the micro of how an individual can conduct themselves to create those feelings, even in a situation where they have identified is a quote unquote problem. But then I love how you kind of flip the script and change it to working a solution. It's like, well, what can I do? How can I control? What can I control in this situation? I'm going to try to impact those by adding in these little elements. So Mm -hmm. it's just like, what a great way to practice, like you said, you know, by integrating it into your everyday life, and then being able to bring it into these much bigger scenarios. That is so cool. Well, so do you have like a dream scenario that you would want to try to work a solution for in the hospitality industry? Anything that you see? I know this this is a really big question, but something where you say, man, if I could disrupt this process by using some kind of experiential design, using your 4D framework, what would it be? Any ideas? I have so many ideas. It's ridiculous. So when I am queen of the world, there will be no shortage of things for me to, to be able to try to influence and, ha- and have a um, experience with. So one of the thing, okay, so just a spoiler for, for the folks listening. So Jen and I have talked to each other a number of times and I've riffed on a couple of ideas at different point, different conversations we've had, but the one that always floats around for me as a um, really, I think it would be such a cool I don't want to say it's a totally new idea because I think iterations of this have existed in the in the recent history. And by recent, I mean, let's say last hundred years of the way people have interacted, whether it's with hospitality or with companies Um, like the timeshare industry is one that I think of where it's gotten such a bad rap. Right. Like you get a timeshare and it's just this like cringy thing that you've got and now you can never get out of it. And hopefully you have an exchange. And I don't say that because timeshares are bad. I actually own one and I do use it and I, I enjoy it. But the perception of it is such bad, um, a bad rap. But, you know, one of the things that I would love to see, and, and I would love to design this with a, with a boutique brand in particular, or with mixed use development, I think it could work either way. Okay, can I share two? Because I have one, I have like one yeah. that's like, a well, okay, all right, please. So the, the first one, so the first one is a, a bit of a, a spin on the um, experience of a timeshare, where instead of having a timeshare or having to exchange a timeshare through like a, like an interval international or some sort of other exchange service, you work with a boutique hospitality brand that allows that, that encourages and allows either people or organizations to um, on behalf of their people to create these multi, I guess, multi mini vacation experiences where let's just say Mallory's hotel brand. So, so I don't pick out anybody special and, you know, And we know that we have, let's say, eight experiences around the country or around the world. Each one of them is very unique and very different. And not only is it the hotel, like 
okay, we've got, a, you know, a, a, an experience that resonates for what you would think of as vintage Las Vegas or what you would think of as quintessential um, Park City or quintessential whatever, you know, but you've also got built into that their own series of things that are going to bring them out into the city around them that are all designed to revolve around this, this hotel. So it kind of takes the timeshare where meaning you're investing in a couple of different iterations, right? So like one weekend in, I'm just going to use Q1 because it's easy, two weekends in Q2, a weekend in Q3 and a week in Q4. You've got this built-in series of vacations or series of things that you're going to do as a team or whatever. They're in different cities. Each one of them is designed to have a unique experience of that property and that city. But then it also wraps in this kind of concept that emerged with, I think, Airbnb, where you also have unique experiences in the property itself. So you don't just show up to the property and say like, okay, I'm going to check into my room. The, the medium, you know, the, the central space is cool. Like the common space is cool, but it's like as baked in as part of your continuation, you're in, you know, an art focused or an art forward experiential weekend. And so you're going to have the hotel that's got that experience, your room that's got that experience. You're going to go out and do some sort of curated thing in the city that you're in. And when you get back, you're going to have some sort of like private presentation by somebody and da, 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 right. So like building this kind of, what is the next evolution of travel look like? We're going to curate almost a year-round experience for you. And we're going to help you not have to necessarily think about anything beyond like when I show up, it's done for me, but it's very, very hands-on. It's very unique. You get all these different, like just kind of wrapped up from end to end touch points for yourself over the course of whatever that progression would be over time. So that would be one that I would just like, that would be super, super, super cool. Yeah, sign me up for those trips because <laughs> those sound so that would be awesome. Yeah. So all of our hoteliers that are listening, when you're ready and you're like, we don't know what to do with our six properties around the country that we want to like do something totally different, right? Like that, I would just love to do. And then mm. the second one, and I, and I actually wrote about this. And again, um, the universe maybe will wave its magic wand and someone will say, Oh yeah, we want to do this. So I look at what a lot of places, um, what a lot of cities have done with buildings that were very um, prominent parts of society, maybe 70, 80, 100 years ago. So factories in particular, and they've converted them into like the High Line in New York or Pont City Market in um, Atlanta or, you know, these different spaces that have become mixed use. They're, they're uh, retail and restaurant and social space and event space. I would like to do something similar, except I would like to take it and do it with what I believe in our day and age are going to be even sooner than 75 or 100 years. It's happening now. Um, the equivalent of those factories, which is the previously super, super cool sh indoor shopping mall. Oh. These empty vessels of like maybe a few stores or they've got like things that don't really mix and match anymore together or, you know, real estate, commercial realtors have tried to put other things in and it, it just doesn't match. And I would love to work with somebody on redeveloping an indoor mall into something that becomes, you know, depending on the city, like a totally unexpected um, experience and concept that could do, you know, something like an indoor botanical garden mixed with like a boutique property that also had these curated retail and dining experiences and be able to take this thing that frankly in a lot of cities has just become 
dilapidated yes. or it's no longer an epicenter of the community like it used to once be and and say this is a place that can serve as this really cool function and can help bring this neighborhood and this community back to life you know like really give somebody another reason to be somewhere that isn't just the um you know go into the same 30 stores that you see at every outlet mall at every retail space, like create a unique concept for this community in this place that already exists and just isn't being utilized in the way it once was. And it needs somebody to come in and breathe new life into it. So those are two that I would, Oh boy, like dream, dream, dream projects. I, I aspire to be able to do that at some point in the future. Okay. And that's another really tremendous idea because I go into malls now and it actually makes me like kind of sad and depressed. Sad, right? I yeah. remember, you know, in high school, like that was like the highlight of the weekend was mm -hmm. to meet your friends mm -hmm. at the mall. Your parents drop you off or maybe you drive there or whatever. And mm -hmm. yeah, but there is so much potential for just bringing yeah. in that local flavor. And I mean, it could be something that locals and tourists alike could enjoy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and the, the wonderful part about it from where I'm standing is unlike, and, and don't get me wrong, I love, I love older buildings. I love, a, give me a building that's 150 years old, that's still got original character. I'm in hog heaven, right? But the, the beautiful thing about these structures is that a lot of them were built in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And so from a development standpoint, you don't need nearly the level of infrastructure um, reconstruction or redevelopment that you would need in some of those older buildings. So like when I think about it from the standpoint of a city that's investing in it or a community that's investing in it, like there's just so much potential there to do something cool. And then for the developer that's willing to go out on a limb to be the first in the country to do something like this in the United States or overseas um, and be able to basically market this commodity and take it to other cities and say like, we did it here, now let us do it for you. There's some there are some serious investment dollar signs behind that as well. So, I, you know, I just think on a lot of fronts, it, it, it really lends itself to benefiting many, many, many different you know, community, um, tourist community, st uh, developers, business owners. Like it just does a lot um, for a lot of people. So I think it would be really cool. Definitely. Well, I want to ask you a couple more questions before we sign off. But you've given us so much really interesting information to think about. So I thank you so much. And I hope that the audience is, you know, their creative juices are flowing. My mind certainly are just thinking about how to incorporate some of these elements into everything I do, frankly. But I want you to tell us, well, first of all, how can we find you and your company? And then if would you be willing to touch on your super exciting projects that you're working on? Of course. One day I look forward to coming back and sharing with you that we're redeveloping a mall somewhere. And I'm like, we're turning it into this like amazing thing or we're doing the, you know, like Jen, we have to have you come and do a episode from each boutique concept around the country because we're okay. doing it, right? Like amazing. <laughs> so that'll, that'll be a future, um, future exciting series that we'll put into place. Yes. But, um, in. Yes. So how people can can learn more about us and get in touch with us. So the easiest way, because for me, designing my experience, just a quick sidebar story. Initially, I started with Instagram and I was like, OK, I'm going to do Instagram and LinkedIn and all this stuff. And what I realized after a couple of months of doing that was that that was not the easy experience, easiest experience for me. It wasn't I wasn't having a lot of feelings of fun and simplicity and ease. I was mostly <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed out. 
So we shifted gears and um, the easiest way now is to subscribe to our newsletter. We do a monthly blog. Um, you can find us at gaexperiences.com. So G a and then the word experiences plural.com and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Um, every once in a while we will share other information, but I also feel like we, you know, people get inundated with stuff. So I was like, I'd rather do once a month and have it be a nice, good piece of content that people can enjoy reading than just hit them with stuff on Instagram. And uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm available. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, Elon Musk yet. So, you know, if you hit me up on LinkedIn, <laughs> Mallory got, um, there's a pretty high chance that I will get back in touch with you and we will become friends in real life, just like you and I have, which Yay. is super, super cool. <laughs> and so those are the, the easiest ways to, to get a hold of us. And for me, drinking the Kool-Aid, they were the easiest and most fun ways that I could share information about what we're doing right now. That could definitely evolve in time and, and it already has, as I said, but um, for now, those are the two strategies and the two approaches that we use. As far as our super fun project, so this one actually was previously on the like big dreams list and now we're getting to do it, which is why I'm like, don't worry, we'll come back when we're doing our hotel, you know, boutique concept or our like mall, whatever we're designing have no down the doubt. road. I'm like, well, it'll happen. So, so GNA um, entered in with a chef who just happens to be my fiance, but he is actually a super, super talented chef. And he works at one of the coolest restaurants here in Las Vegas called Esther's Kitchen. We entered into a contest in December called the Great Las Vegas Coffee Shop Giveaway. The prize is valued at just under a million dollars and it is actually a complete restaurant build out. So soup to nuts, physical space, all of the equipment that you would need to run the restaurant, all of the, um, you know, the, the stoves and the utensils and the, all that kind of stuff, as well as uh, a preliminary marketing and branding um, pushed once the restaurant would open uh, in downtown Las Vegas, in the historic part of Las Vegas. Um, and we were selected as one of six finalists in that contest. So as of the time of this recording, which is late April, and I know we're gonna be sharing this in, um, in May, we are getting ready in about 10 days to host a public pop-up in Las Vegas and then the judges dinner. Um, we have designed all of the brand, all of the concept for what the physical space would look like, all of these enhancements and flourishes. Um, and I'll, I'll share this because after when people hear it, it'll be after the fact. But, you know, we've even got like for people uh, designed recipe cards that are my great grandma Ethel because the restaurant is named after Winnie, who is my fiance's grandma and my great grandma Ethel. Her handwritten recipe card for strawberry pie that is on, you know, designed on a um, branded piece that we have been, we're making available to people as part of that experience. Like, what do we want people to feel? The warmth and love of grandma's kitchen. Well, then one of the ways you can feel it is, oh, you know, man. getting this recipe card and having this great food. So we've designed all the brands have uh, brand concept, all of the you know, menu items, all of these experiential enhancements. We get to deliver a public pop-up in 10 days, and then we get to dive deep into the experience and redesign a space for a judge's dinner about five days after that. Uh, and we will learn, I would say, within the next three to four weeks, if we were the finalist team that was selected to win this restaurant. And, and if we are, then we get to you know, continue on and actually bring a full-blown restaurant concept to life, all of the experiential design touch points that go into it. And that has just been a wild and wonderful and, and frankly, at times like awe, awestruck, uh, awestruck inducing is not a word, but I'll make it a word, um, awe-inducing experience for our yes. team to just look at it and go, the stuff that we talk about all the time with other groups, like we're, we're doing it and it's working, you know, we, we made it out of 
almost 90 submissions. We were selected as one of six finalists. Um, our firm, along with uh, Chef Lee, my fiance, were the only group selected that did not already have an existing concept, wow. um, which I think speaks volumes, yeah, to like what we what we put together and, you know, fingers, toes and everything else crossed. If, if we do our job and we create that feeling for people of that, you know, warm, loving, just super, super cozy vintage environment, we, we just may be the people chosen to bring this concept to life, so. We're excited. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing that. I'm really hoping that you guys win and that it will be a chance for anyone listening to actually see proof of how your process works and 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 live exactly what uh, what you put together. That's wonderful. I'm very excited for you guys. Even if you don't win, just getting to this point is obviously a huge accomplishment and what a great way to flex your muscles in yeah. actually putting all of this into practice. So congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank sure. you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. One final, final question real quick. And that mm-hmm. is, I would like to offer you a chance, like I offer all my guests to issue a compliment or a complaint. It could be about anything, like literally oh, anything at all. I know it's a, a compliment or a complaint. Yes. Um, well, so I would say, I, you know, my compliment is to, to anybody who's willing to say at any point in their day, whether it's interacting with something like how they get started in their morning routine to that team meeting to something as maybe quote unquote big as what we're doing with this entire brand or this entire event. My compliment is to anybody who's willing to say to themselves, I can feel any way I want and I can design an experience around trying to maximize those feelings because there are always ways to work on creating more feelings, no matter what level I'm at in a, in a process, in a team, where I'm at along the way. Like if I want to feel excited, if I want to feel invigorated, if I want to feel uplifted or upbeat or joyful or whatever that set of things is, whatever those feelings are, I might have to practice. I might have to practice a lot. I might stumble and fumble around for a good long while because I'm not used to this approach if I've been doing it a different way for a long time. But I really can look at any experience that I have at any point in my day and I can decide how I want to feel and I can start to work on creating more of those feelings for myself. That is no small feat just because it is not how most of us have been trained to think for most of our lives. Mostly we think in the opposite until something changes. I can't really feel this way. It's just not true. It's just not true. It may take a lot of practice, but I really compliment anybody who's willing to even try because that is the willingness is the key to unlocking that door to leading with feelings first and being able to design experiences that center around creating whatever those feelings are that matter for you. That is incredible. From event design to mental health design. I mean, you can you can you can use experiential design to accomplish many many things in your life. So thank you so Absolutely. much, Mal, Absolutely. for giving us a crash course in how to do this. Uh, I can't wait to put some of these things into practice. I wish I had an event so I could do this on a big scale. But for now, I'll just stick with my individual daily life. But thanks so much for joining me on the show today, and I can't wait to hear what's going to happen with the restaurant. So please keep me posted. I absolutely will. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everybody else who shared some of their time with us. We are always grateful at GNA when people are willing to lend us a little of their very, very valuable time.